The last time we featured Selena Cesar Chavan on the Race, Health, and Happiness podcast was way back in 2019 when we were preparing to launch the first season of the show. At the time, Selena was an elected member of Canadian Parliament, and she was fierce and outspoken about who she was and the issues that she cared about. From the outside, it would have seemed that she was on top of the world, but that just wasn't the case. The, the truth was much more nuanced and even ugly. And we will get to that, but first, here's a taste of what Selena told us back in 2019. What do you mean, why am I here? Like I'm not an elected official. What, because you're not used to seeing the black girl in charge? They can't fire me. They couldn't fire me for four years. So why not talk and say things for people that if they do talk, they will get fired. You know what I mean? That's my responsibility and I love my people. So I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna say the things that I know are weighing on them. Now, almost exactly two years later, Selena is in a brand new chapter of her life. Literally, as she is now the author of the book, Can You Hear Me Now? How I Found My Voice and Learned to Live with Passion and Purpose. The book tells the story of how being in the political sphere broke her down and how she had to leave politics to rebuild her spirit. Now, after reading the book, Dr. O wondered, how is Selena doing today? And how does she reconcile all that has happened in the past couple of years? And so, Dr. O decided to give Selena a call. Selena, welcome. Oh, thank you, Dr. O. It's always a pleasure to chat when we can catch up. Selena, before we start, any other questions? You're good? No, I'm good. All right. Some fun. All right. It's not enough to survive. We are learning together to surthrive. This is Race, Health, and Happiness. And this is a special episode Selena Cesar Chavan Revisited. So I am Dr. O, the host of the Race, Health, and Happiness podcast, and I am so delighted to have Ms. Selena Caesar Chavan, former MP, mental health advocate, and author of the phenomenal book, Can You Hear Me Now, with me. So excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And I mean, we have been chatting every now and then, but as far as our race, health, and happiness um, audience, it's been a minute because, yes. Yes. like, for the podcast so you were in season one and we actually taped it in the fall of 2019 which now is like a totally different <laughs> era um but you know since then you left politics you wrote a book and and of course we're living like hashtag pandemic life so do you want to um maybe give an update on what you've oh. been up to since fall of 2019 doesn't it feel like centuries ago yeah so you know, it might seem like centuries ago and it might be, you know, a good opportunity for me to start rattling off the things that I've been doing. But to be quite honest, um, politics gave me a little bit of a shake and I, I haven't quite gotten my footing just yet. Uh, just to be completely transparent with you, I know people see me on uh, still on different news outlets, pundits, like, you know, just doing my thing here and there but I haven't gotten my footing yet. And so um, I've really taken since fall of 2019, even till now, just taking a, a, a really long pause that COVID-19 helped me pause through because it mm -hmm. wasn't just Selena pausing, it was everybody pausing. But I've, I've had to take a long pause. I've been taking a really deep spiritual dive into really trying to focus on myself, on my happiness, on my health and my well-being. Um, and so I'm I'm pausing. Politics really beat me up a little bit. And I think I really appreciate you sharing that because I think what people usually do is just kind of give us like, I don't know, the avatar version of themselves, not the real self. And then we get to hear this story of overcoming much later. So people are like, remember 
three years ago when I told you like I was perfect? <laughs> well, I wasn't yeah. and blah, 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 right? We don't see it yeah. when it when it's happening. And and life is about not always having our footing. Our, our life is about finding that journey. And I think for myself as well, like this pandemic has just been, um, in some cases, a painful pause of, I think for society, it's been a painful pause to look at all the stuff we were ignoring um, that needs to be addressed. And I think internally, yes. that's very much been the case. Y yeah, you're absolutely right. Like it's it's not just a personal pause, but it's kind of like, are we still talking about this pause? Are we still, is, is inequity still a thing pause? Oh my God, the pandemic has made it much bigger pause um oh. calls for social and racial justice have made the disparity even more glaring pause right it's it's constantly consuming while you're trying to heal knowing like and and the the thought of is it ever going to get better physically yourself more like yourself or the world and you're like you're it, there's this constant sort of battle between does it get better and so that hence the extra long pause, the two-year pause on yeah. selena's life but in that pause we were we were blessed with your book and yeah. in that book you know you really talk about um what you just alluded to before how politics really uh took a toll and yeah. and we know that anime paul um you know in september resigns yes. as the leader of um of the green party yeah and so you know thinking about again our listeners when we think about and you know you you speak to it in the book but also just in this context right now with everything that happened with the green party what are what do you think people should really know about the way the political world treats black women and i don't want like the superficial thing we know what the world does to black women right so we are often very much disrespected but yeah. I'm asking a little bit for those who might be coming up and thinking about politics, because as Kika Ojo Thompson says, you need to understand the game board that you're playing on, right? Like you right. need to understand the game board. So can you talk, talk to us about the flavor of the type of disrespect that happens in politics yes. for black women? So, so we're ready. Yeah, and so that's why my book was very transparent. It was transparent about my life because I wanted people to know that I don't sympathize with you. I empathize with you when you talk about pains that you're going through. When you talk about let, being left behind, I often say I don't advocate for the removal of mandatory minimums because I plan on going to jail. I, I advocate because I know what it's like to be just left behind mm -hmm. and to be hoping that somebody's advocating for you. But the type of soul destroying... Um, space that politics is remember that politics or our democracy was designed for and by white men it, when i was there there was no dress code right so it, it meant it, like this is not all oh, selena's you know pulling the race card this is exactly how it was designed and so it really does a good job of the physical infrastructure like just not having any physical representation of blackness or black womanness being a part of any social, political, or economic development of Canada. There's nothing there that says we are here, we were here. And then you you get in there and it's like, okay, we want to talk about mental health. We want to talk about equity. We want to talk about race. We want to talk about the same things that people are talking about at water coolers on Monday morning, mm -hmm. but are whispering those conversations. Let's amplify those conversations. And it's like, oh, well, hold on, honey. We, we, we told you to come here. But we didn't think that you would speak. No, you're there for the photo. Right? <laughs> we like diversity like, in the photo. Right. So the fact that you actually want to use your brain capacity and then filter that information that from your pretty little head and out your little mouth, like we didn't actually want all of that. And that for someone who is twice as good, twice as hard, like you did every single thing that you were supposed to do right to get to that spot. And you realize at that moment that your title offers you no protection. So you go in with no, you know, vest on, no protective gear. You go on completely exposed because you think you've done everything to get you there. So you don't need the battle armor. Uh-oh. And that's, that's where it gets you. 
You know, in looking at so many aspects, particularly African-American history, you see it time and time again, where they're like, oh no, we're post-racial. Or, you know, even after slavery ended, there's like, it's reconstruct. There's all these like situations where we're put to think like, okay, now is the space. Like now we've made it so we can put down our armor. Right. And George that's really Floyd. not the case. George Floyd. Now we could put down our armor. And then you see Anime Paul totally just decimated sexism, racism, attacks on, and I've said this before, we do not have to agree on policy. We do not have to agree on process. What we should agree on is our humanity and how we treat people. And when those attacks got personal, mm -hmm. related to her race, her gender, her her faith, that that has nothing to do with policy or process. We could debate those so the cows come home. But when you start to do that, that is a kind of destruction to our spirit, to our spirit, because we've done everything right. And yet still, we're wronged. And I think that piece around humanity is so key. Like, Everybody around me knows that right now I'm very obsessed with the South African philosophy of Ubuntu, right? Which is I am because we are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's very much seeing the humanity in others and knowing that our humanity is very much interlinked. But with that, particularly as black women, you know, we know that, you know, there's lots of studies and life experience shows us that we often put like the family on our back and community on our back. But part of that recognizing humanity is also boundaries and recognizing our own humanity. And so I think it's really important for young people to see, excuse me, like people like you, like we, we it's important to take up space and to occupy yeah. space that yeah. was not created for us. Yeah. But it's also important to have boundaries like anime has shown and you have shown where it is just like, this is not right. And I right. care about me. And right. there's other ways that I can carry forth in my, you know, in my purpose, but right. this, this is not, this is not it. This is um, not it. Yeah. And, and that, and that should be okay. Like, it should be okay for us to say, mm, no, I'm not, I'm not going to allow this to destroy me. There are other ways. So, so my passion for an advocacy don't disappear with my title. That exactly. stays within you. So it's not like, oh, you left the table and, you know, we have nobody there to advocate. And I'm I'm happy that you have been able to find, you know, other ways of working and advocacy and opportunities and leading and that you continue yeah. to do so. But I think, you know, sometimes when I have um, moments of challenge, I'm like, oh, okay, this is like the commercial part of the biopic <laughs> when like it seems like... <laughs> everything is up in the air and then after the commercial there's the like you know um yeah. all the different ways that that things turn around but i think it it really is important for us to value ourselves as as human human beings so for all human beings but particularly again what the research has shown over and over is black women putting everybody again you know in front of themselves including work for community and not valuing ourselves and i think that is a piece that perhaps you, you know, persons like you or, or Anime Paul don't realize that for, for those of us who are not, you know, in the, the media's eye and things like that, that actually speaks volumes to us to say, you know what, because you value yourself and we should yes. value ourselves and we should have boundaries and have a moment where we say, this is yes. not right. And I yes. value me. So you can yes. come for me if you like, but like, this is where I draw my line. Yes. So, yeah. And, and I think the, the, the important part of that too, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I appreciate not just, not just the, the, the fact that you could draw a boundary, but that the societal expectation for us to just rebound after that is not like the text that I send to anime right now. is like, come sit with me at the lake house and put down sod. I have lots of skids of sod. <laughs> it's just, just come and sit and chill and we could do nothing. We could sit in silence or we could plot our next takeover of the world, whatever you wanna do, the door is open. But it's just the opening knowing that I know what you're going through and you don't want someone up there. So what's happening? Do it, do it. We could just sit and do nothing for five days. 
or we could we're put human beings. <laughs> yeah, and 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 that's it. We don't always have to go, and we have to give each other space too to heal in our space, right? We like yeah. we have to open up our space to say heal here, heal here, and I I I don't know what you need to heal here, but I will give you whatever it is that you need to heal here. And then we could go back out there. Tell me what you need to help you get back out there, but you don't have to rebound and just go. No, I love that. And again, that speaks to humanity. It's not just about productivity, right? That is not what it's about. It's about healing, just like with anything else. So I I really appreciate um, you taking the time to speak with me. We're just always, um, and by we, I'm, you know, I speak about the, from like my friends, my students, um, all backgrounds, right? Genders, race, everything. We're just so inspired by your strength and your love of of self and others and community and your fire. (laughs) And we appreciate it. And that fire keeps us going as well. So don't let anybody put out your fire because we will we will come for them but also it helps our own fires burn brighter so thank you for the light well your fire helps my fire so we just have to stay close to each other and just know that we're keeping each other warm and that's that's the most important thing because i think a lot of us are struggling right now and a lot of us are putting on a very brave face and smiling and we're we're a lot of us are hurting you know and sometimes we don't feel like we have the right to hurt but we do have the right to hurt. We do have the right to hurt. We also have the right to heal. So let's let's do this journey of next by being very present, absorbing the now, being very grateful for these moments. And so I will say that I am grateful forever to you, Dr. O, because you you not only use your platform, you use your power, your privilege, your position to just keep those doors like i don't even know if there's a door anywhere in your vicinity because it's just like just wide open and so it's not about keeping the door open it's like the door's not even there so (laughs) thank you because that's a that's an interesting place to be and you're pulling in all these different things and it's just like what what is she not doing (laughs) well thank you for saying that yes well I'm, I'm definitely um, trying to do less, actually, speaking of rest as far as what I'm not doing. But, um, but it is a privilege and I was, I was actually reflecting on that. Like I have a lot of challenges and I do have a lot of pain, but I do feel blessed and blessed to be able to do this work and to know, you know people like yourself and, um, and to do this work. And some of this work we do very much together actually yes. now, which is, which is a blessing as well. Which is great. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Namaste. And now it's time to rewind. Go way back to 2019. Listen to what Selena told us back then with some fresh commentary from Dr. O. This is a Race, Health, and Happiness throwback. This episode is from Season 1 when I interviewed former MP Selena Caesar Chavan. This was recorded in October 2019 after she had left the Canadian Liberal Party. We decided to bring back this gem after yet another Black woman has left politics. Anna Paul resigned as the leader of the Green Party. A troubling but empowering pattern of Black women saying, enough is enough. There is healing and wisdom in that, so we're bringing it back. I want us to go like straight, like straight into the early years mm-hmm. of your journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so thinking about, I was thinking about your superpower. So it is clearly your passion to speak truth to power. 
And so I was wondering, like, where does that come from? Like in your own journey, in your own pathway, where does that speaking truth to power, where did it, where did it start? I would say that my, my superpower, my ability to speak truth to power started with three-year-old Selena. Um, three-year-old Selena used to, she used to stand at the top of her stairs and sing Rod Stewart. If <laughs> Rod you want Stewart. my body and you think I'm sexy. <laughs> and and it was it was it was one of those things where actually I could actually see myself with my birthday suit singing that. And you know, over the years, I mean, my my journey hasn't been you know three year old Selena singing naked at the top of the stairs to being in Parliament. <laughs> it has been it has been a lot of ups and downs. But I would say that when I think back to how fierce and um, bold that little girl was she's always been there. I think sometimes you forget that she could show up, right? And at and, and times in my life, I've forgotten where she was. Um, but when I look back, it was her that has been the, 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 little, the little powerhouse inside of Selena all this time. Pause. The fact that Selena has channeled her inner child is a positive mental health practice. I want to quote renowned Italian psychiatrist Roberto Assagioli. He said, the inner child is a psychosynthesis of all ages, from childhood to old age, and that each developmental age is not left behind, but forms one small part of all that we are. He said it's ideal to keep the best aspect of each age alive. And I love that. And that's exactly what Selena has done to stay resilient and fierce as a Black woman in places and spaces that weren't built to work against her. But she thrived. I, I, that's a really um, funny image at the top of the stairs, just just belting singing, yeah, belting it out. And exactly. Rod Stewart of all. <laughs> um, and so, how was it with um, for your for your parents with you know you being this um, fearless, outspoken Rod Stewart singer? Like- so I think three year old Selena singing Rod Stewart was the definition of sort of the 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 boldness but i was also three-year-old selena that was saying all the bad words selena who was playing kissing tag in the middle of the courtyard with the boys um the selena who was doing all of those things that you know you you shouldn't have been doing because you're supposed to be a nice little girl and sit quietly and i didn't do that but i was also really smart so in my 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 grades were my shining moments, right? Where I bring home all straight A's. And that for me was something that, you know, as much trouble as I got into, you couldn't touch me because I have my grades. Oh yeah. Right? With immigrant parents, if you have that, yeah, you're, you're golden. You, you can get away with stuff. anything. And then yes. you come home with that straight A and it's like, child, you're really a good child, you know. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm not. <laughs> I know. I know I'm not a good kid. <laughs> and I think that's what uh, you know. A lot of um, immigrant parents, because they come to you know, it could be this country in Canada or any country with aspirations for themselves, but also their children. Yeah. And sometimes they face you know a lot of of challenges, so they kind of invest a lot. Like you must you know really work hard. Right. Were you able to observe any challenges that your parents were facing during that time? I know you were oh, young yeah. when they immigrated, but. You know, I saw them struggle with a lot of things too. I mean, I remember my dad coming home and looking sad in a way when he worked for another company and he eventually went on to own his own business. And I remember him coming home and being at the kitchen table and just watching this. And it was in Rexdale, so I must have been about four or five years old. Oh, wow. Okay. And just watching him have this sadness. And I know it wasn't because he got cut or bruised, or I know it wasn't like a a personal thing, like a death in the family, but there was something that made him really sad. And he was talking about the way people were treating him at, at work. At work. And I thought to myself, I never want to experience that sadness. I was afraid of it. 
what did you take from that or what what was your understanding about what was happening right was he experiencing racism or was it a cultural change right. so that's to exactly what it was it uh, was he was experiencing racism or i just didn't know that that was the word i just know that i did not want to be impacted by what by whatever was making my father so sad was kind of owning your own business was i don't know if it was for him but was it for you kind of a bit of a way of kind of staking out your own um independence mm -hmm. or a way to not be put right. in the situation where you saw your father right. having that look on his face of, of being an employee and experiencing racism so i'm not sure i'm i'm that smart to have connected all those dots already <laughs> it's when you look back over your life that you could see how well you've connected dots that you didn't know existed right pause In Selena's book, Can You Hear Me Now?, she talks about the moment she knew she had to leave the Liberal Party. In her book, she quotes Nina Simone, and she notes, I'd also learned to leave the table when love's no longer being served. Given the large numbers of Black women across North America who have left their day jobs to pursue being entrepreneurs, I would have to guess that love is not being served towards Black women in a number of fields and institutions. So many Black women are leaving the table, but there is a silver lining. In 2018, Forbes magazine reported a 164% increase in Black female-owned businesses in America. Black women are now leading in entrepreneurship, working on their own terms. I didn't do so well in university. Um, ended up taking six years to finish a three-year degree. Fell in love with research and then started to think, okay, I'll, I'll do a research assistant, the research coordinator, did my first MBA, wanted to be a research manager, sent out 732 applications because you know you're supposed to put them in the little box. In oh, the wait, little wait, wait, sorry. I know you just kind of I know, just I sailed right. I need to through it. 732. 732, because you put them in the little inbox, right? You, you file them in and then you're supposed to follow up with each person to say, hey, did you get my resume? So all of those were in the little inbox, 732 applications in some research area. This is me with an MBA now, my first one's done. And I put them in there and I got four interviews, two second interviews, zero jobs. Because you're overqualified or you don't have managerial experience. Overqualified or underqualified? That yes. is a common issue yes. for Black, Indigenous, yes. racialized people. Yes. You Thank you. Don't have the experience. Sorry. Well, how am I supposed to get the experience? We don't give me the job. Well, you know, you can't get the job. Mm -hmm. So my gut's telling me, you know, start your own business. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, I have, a, excuse me, universe. Are you listening? <laughs> I have an MBA. I am supposed to get a managerial job. This is what you do with them. And I couldn't, I couldn't land one. And so it forced, I was forced into, hey, let's start this business, let's start this research management firm. And it wasn't sort of the entrepreneurial thing that I saw my dad and it was, I, I was forced, like I needed to get money, I needed to make money. And I'm a hustler, baby. You mm -hmm. need to be able to do that. You, you've been taught to be able to do that twice as good, twice as hard. So you have to find a way to make a way out of no way. And so there you go. So you did. So I did. Okay. So then, um, you know, at the beginning I mentioned you have two MBAs, Selena. So yes. can you tell us the story of how that occurred? Why? <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, two MBAs is, is really, it's, it's actually, so when I started my company, which was Resolve Research Solutions, started in 2005, and I didn't put... So I'm, I'm going to have to go back and forward a little no, bit. No, no, that's okay. I didn't put my name or my face or anything, any identifiable features about myself out on the internet okay. because I was, I owned a research management company. I didn't want to have to deal with people saying, I don't want to work with a woman and I don't want to work with a black woman and I don't want to work with a young person. Right? Right. I still consider myself young. I look at yes, I might as well. Yes. Um, so I didn't want to have to deal with all of those issues. So I didn't put myself 
visibly out there. It was okay. just the company and the logo and the brand was what I was selling. And I wouldn't show up to see clients until we've already had a fully executed agreement. You making money, I'm making money. And then whatever color we are, we just focusing on green, right? Okay. And so I didn't do that. Um, fast forward a few years, I won the 2007 Harry Jerome Young Entrepreneur. I won the Toronto Board of Trade Entrepreneur of the Year 2012. People see who I am. I cannot hide anymore. Mm -hmm. And so 10 years in to the company, I'm thinking, or, you know, my, co my company is approaching the 10 year mark around 2015. And I'm thinking, good grief. I want to take the company international, or I want to maybe go into corporate and leave it for a little while. What do I do? And I think I'll get another MBA or I was going to, I went to do a PhD and I dropped out of it and I needed something to mask who I was. So I think, in my mind, you could get past the fact that you're gonna work with a black person and a woman if she's a doctor. That's so that's how why you I, did the PhD. That's how I wanted to the do PhD. the PhD, yes. Okay. Unpack that a little bit. Right. Why do you drop out of a PhD program, Selena? Because I, I felt like I couldn't do it. I just felt like I wasn't, I wasn't as smart as the other people in the class. And the imposter syndrome just started like eating away at me, even though I'd accomplished so much, I just thought I couldn't do it. But there, there has to be a time when you reflect on why mm -hmm. that is the case. Why, Selena, did you do so poorly in university? Why did you drop out of a PhD program? What, if they accepted you, it means that you were good enough. Now you're gonna turn around and tell them that you're not. What is your problem? And so you, you, it, you, it takes time to unpack that. And each, for each person, it's different. Mm -hmm. It's not right or wrong. It's just different, right? right? And I, I needed to remove myself from that for whatever reasons the universe thought that I needed to do that. And I did my second MBA. I see. Okay. So then can you tell us how um, then you decide to become, you know, engaged in politics because on the one hand there's the <laughs> there's the classroom where you felt like you know what i need to step out of here and then you know this moment where you decide to like step right. up into an entirely different leave the business world and enter and enter politics yes yes so so yes so drop out of the phd program start my executive mba here at rock at uft at rotman and december 2013 there's a politics component of the course where the professor is talking about political capital and how you could use your your business skills to be politically savvy and figure out policies, how policies could change to help your business grow and you know connections made and things like that. And I'm just thinking, man, how do I get some of that? I want that political capital. I want I want to be able to use those skills that I've learned in business and research and be and apply them to policy. I've been doing this, you know, for most of the work that I've done in research. And so I decided at that point to become a member of a political party. So for the first time in my life, became a member of the Liberal Party. I voted Liberal uh, in February of 2014. So a couple months later, decided to become a member. And when you become a member, they send you all of these solicitation emails, I get one that says, invite her to run. Do you know a woman who will be interested in running in the next federal election and is smart and courageous and has like, these great ideas? And I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> me. And then the three-year-old Selena showed back up and uh -huh. we were like, yes, we could do this now. And so I decided to just run. So nobody asked me, nobody flew across the country. I was just like, Google. How do you run in a political campaign search? Oh, you get all the information. <laughs> wow. Okay. So now many of of us know you as like the as I mentioned at the beginning, this voice around um like mental health issues, mm -hmm. um, the marginalized black community. So did you enter with like this lens of change or, you know, no. how did that come about? How did No, so I'll, I'll I'll try to keep this story really brief, but when I went into my my swearing in ceremony, I knew I was different. I knew, I mean, I'm not I'm not 
Selena at Resolve Research where I could hide myself. I'm now a public figure. I am the only dark chocolate woman out of 338 people in that place. There is no hiding. So I show up at my swearing in ceremony in this, you know, faux leather dress, hey. my faux fur, my heels. Like I'm, I'm not wearing the suit thing. I'm going to show up because they're going to talk about me anyway. Right. So I might as well give them something to talk about. So I show up and I'm in this room with this huge portrait of the fathers of confederation above my head as I'm my hands on the Bible. And I'm, and I'm recording my name into history. And that moment was so, the, the burden of that responsibility was so heavy. I carried it for at least two years mm. as this heaviness, as this, oh my God, this place was never designed for women let alone me. So how am I going to survive here? And it became heavier and heavier and heavier. And it weighed on me. It weathered me. It made, I would come home and say, Vidal, this job is killing me. And there's a lot of other things that happened too. And then the moment I realized that that burden was not a heaviness, it was a love for my community, a love for that three-year-old self, a love for the one that kept all the secrets and didn't say what I was supposed to say and and was sort of beat up all over the years. It was a love, a responsibility to speak up, to give back, to say, to talk about why do you need to be twice as good and twice as hard and not take care of yourself? How is that sustainable? What do you mean, why am I here? Like I'm not an elected official. What, because you're not used to seeing the black girl in charge? You're asking me questions? No, I need to talk about this, not just for me, but for all the people that feel the burden, not of that picture, but of everyday living. They can't fire me. They couldn't fire me for four years. So why not talk and say things for people that if they do talk, they will get fired. You know what I mean? That's my responsibility and I love my people. So I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna say the things that I know are weighing on them. Pause. Scholar and author Brene Brown in her Netflix special, which I love, uh, called The Call to Courage stated, and I quote, if you're criticizing from a place where you're not also putting yourself on the line, I'm not interested in your feedback, end quote. I'm feeling that, I have to say. Anyone who goes into politics is putting themselves on the line. And as a Black woman, it's a line of fire. So much respect to those who walk that line. Much respect to those who take the chance and enter the arena. And I mean, I love, so you you definitely talk, you talked about so many different issues that touched people in many uh, different, different ways in, and speaking on race, but also speaking on mental health, because actually you talk about that, that intersection, right? That piece of working twice as hard and yeah. how it takes a toll on a person's health. There's good evidence that that actually yes. does lead to mental health consequences. So when you, you know, decided to speak out on these issues, I'm curious about your process of, you know, getting that um, three-year-old Selena to kind of, you know, move into that space. So let's right. let's start with the working twice as hard and, and just thinking about mental health, because mm -hmm. I think that resonated with people from various different backgrounds, yes. right? That yes. is something that many people and all of us are facing um, in society, either directly affected by it or um, or family members or friends. Mm -hmm. So so how did that come about, about you speaking about your experience? Right. So between 2013 deciding when to run and the general election, I was in a by-election because uh, the member of parliament who lived in Whitby passed away. And after losing the by-election, I went into a massive depression. I didn't get out of bed or, or do anything for two months. And when I became, when I was elected uh, before World Suicide Prevention Day, it was going to start storming in Ontario. Like seriously, the rain was going to fall, lightning and stuff. Like literal storm. Like literal storm. <laughs> and so I, I posted on Facebook, you know, I, the storm is coming in. Know that I've been there and this will pass. 
and you'll be okay and that it's okay to not be okay. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. And um, I said, hashtag World Suicide Prevention Day. And a journalist saw it and said, can you blog about this, write a blog? And I just wrote about my experience in those first couple months after the by-election, just really having a hard time. And the amount of people that it resonated with had me speaking, but there was one lady, two people that really impacted me the most. The first was a black woman, an elderly woman, who came to me and said, thank you for speaking, because I didn't know what was wrong with me. Because depression and anxiety don't present as people crying all the time. Their mood is affected, their their motivation is affected. And so speaking and giving ex examples of what I was experiencing connected with her in a way that nobody had articulated before. And then the second thing was a woman who said, thank you, Selena, for talking. But if I talk about this, I could lose my job and I'm afraid I could lose my kids. And it's the intersection of both of those that say, okay, enough. Enough now. This is not sustainable for us to continue to work this way. We need to show up for each other. We need to talk about things so that you could get help, but also so that the village could show up too. And the village could help. Yes. We, we, we don't have a choice anymore but to speak up. What are some of the things that you have noticed in your own journey as far as overcoming? Like what are some tips and tricks we can send to, you know, young black women, black men, um, but also, you know, so many other youth experiencing either racism or things that are making them feel like like other you know what i mean like what right. are some some things that through this journey you have some nuggets let's say yeah of things you've picked up for overcoming so i'm going to be real cliche with this answer but um when you look at things from an intersectional lens so race including indigenous um gender sexuality your disability religion ageism we cannot continue to talk about diversity being our in our strength because diversity is ubiquitous like you look you look on the campus it's everywhere the factor that is going to make or, or break us is our ability to include to be truly inclusive why do we need to still choose gendered bathrooms why do people still not have adequate drinking water why can't I show up with my braids? Why can't I do this? And so all of these microaggressions, overt racism, ways in which people are meant to feel like other needs to stop. And so how do you do that? How are you able to get into those, into those spaces? You need to show up authentic. We can't continue to hide ourselves in spaces and, let, and yet want the space to change to accommodate our natural selves if we're not our authentic selves. And this goes from being, you know, being ladylike, you know, <laughs> no, you can't laugh out loud. Well, the first person that's gonna laugh out loud is me. You know, you, 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 you gotta be able to show up authentically in spaces and put your hand up and not be afraid to put your hand up and then show up together. Pause. In Selena's book, she also speaks about the illusion of tokenistic diversity, which is basically where we as BIPOC people occupy spaces of power, but stay silent on issues of injustice. She says, and I quote, if they are only there for the title, the paycheck, the status, or the photo op, how much does representation really matter? End quote. I agree with Selena. Many of us work really, really hard to get to positions of power. But if we're not disrupting status quo, then we are being complicit in maintaining racist, colonial, oppressive structures. I think we all know that we all stand on the shoulders of giants who spoke up. And so I think we need to really think hard about being giants for those coming up behind us. And yes, I am not delusional. That comes with risk. I'm not telling you what to do because I know it comes with risk. But I also believe 
the cost of our silence is too great. We got to decide what we want to do. And the first thing is to show up as authentically who we are. And the second thing is to show up as the village, all of us. I, I, I'm like speechless right now because that was just so in line with what I have been experiencing and observing. Um, it is scary though. It is scary sometimes. I'm thinking about like for young people, like just being a young person can be just challenging trying to figure out who you are. And when you're trying to come into places and spaces and be authentic, it can take a knock to your um, sense of of not just your well-being, but even your self-confidence because you're okay. trying to figure out your voice. But I think where we are doing those two parts that you said, like we show yes. up as our authentic selves, yes. but then are supporting each other in that village, yes. then there is that potential. And also yes. I wonder if there is where you talk about all these different intersectionalities and all of these different issues, then recognizing the other villages mm -hmm. as well. Like mm -hmm. there's so many different villages and sub-villages. Yes. Everybody were able to come as their authentic selves and be included and yes. be celebrated. Imagine. Imagine. And so I, I really just have, you know, one last question for you. When it comes to wellness, I mean, earlier you said, you know, you can when you talked about owning your own business and as a black woman and a young person and, you know, um, kudos for, for looking young as you yourself recognize, <laughs> but I also, you y'all can't see her, but I recognize as well. Um, how do you, what is your approach to wellness? And and I'm assuming it comes from the inside out. So where I, yes. I uh, make yes. a statement yes. on the outside, I'm really thinking about the full wellness right. and well-being. So there's a couple of things that I do, and I'll start from the inside and then work my way out. So number one, I I have depression and anxiety, so I do take my medication. I do do meditation. I exercise. I eat well. I will walk. I will park my car far and walk for the events that I have this this evening. I've walked all the way through Ottawa. So I, I need to make sure that I'm healthy on the inside. Then when you come to the outside, three-year-old Selena shows up every morning because I don't leave my house. I come out of the shower and I appreciate me. Without the filters, like we're in a real Instagram weird world where you gotta filter everything out or you're, you're constantly looking at yourself and jiggling your arms or saying you need to nip and tuck things. And you know, we wanna show up in spaces and have people be confident in us and we can't stand in front of our bedroom mirror and have confidence in ourselves. So that's kind of tricky. You know, you can't, you can't occupy the space and want people to value you and you can't occupy your space, meaning your body, and value yourself. So I have to, I do that in the morning to say, not to do those, I am great, I am good operations. Those are great, those are great. And people that do them, do them. But I actually stand and look at myself and say, mm, 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 all day. <laughs> so, so amazing. All day. Yeah, all day. <laughs> and then I'll get myself ready. And I think that that sort of armor allows you, it's a different kind of armor. It's not, oh, I'm afraid that something's going to hit me. It's, uh, yeah, I'm good today. I'm real good. And so I'm able to, to go out and do stuff. And then outside, I have fun. I, I, I do. Like this whole time in politics, you know, um, I'd, I'd be very careful of people not recording me at parties. But I fed the whole time. Oh, I've seen you. I've yeah. seen you. I said, hey, yes, Y-A-S-S-S-S. Yeah. So what, do you lose pieces of yourself because you, you can't, the politicians don't, don't drink? And I'm like, yeah, well, I have a glass of wine. What am I supposed to hide it every picture? I actually tried hiding it in one picture by putting it behind my back instead of getting it on the table because the camera was coming. And it fell down the whole back of my dress. Mm -mm. So now when the picture comes, I just, yes, I'm having a glass of wine. Are you okay with that? Because I am. And you know, you- Like you, everybody else like at the party. everybody else at the party. And again, it's, it goes back to that being your authentic self. I like soca. I like fetting. So I'm going to do that. And so I'm going to have fun. I'm going to go 100 when I'm at work, but I'm also going to go 100 in the fet. 100 in the fet. Yes. I, <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. And yes, if one does go 100 in the FET, how will one not be well? How will that not? is wellness. Right. But you need to take that. You need to do that for yourselves. And I think it's part of that conversation where we say, you know, go twice as hard, twice as whatever. How do we then, understanding that that's not a sustainable model to living, how then, what are we supposed to tell the next generation? You know, we could keep telling them what my mother told me, work twice as hard, twice as whatever. But we also have to tell them, and take care of yourself and give yourself a break every now and again and don't be so hard on yourself you know and all these things that help you if you you need to because we may still need to do that this isn't a utopia as yet but we will still need to do those things but then we need to have the ands where you know Yes, you're going to see Selena show up at the Fed. And when they do, it's like, why are you here? It's like, man, I get asked that every day at work. Now you're going to ask me why I'm here at the Fed. <laughs> you're at the Fed. <laughs> you're for the same reason you feel. You ask me that? a drink. Let's go. Yes, you hear that? When Selena shows up at the Fed, yeah, don't ask me a question. <laughs> Don't ask what happens no in the party stays at the party. Yes. <laughs> All parties are Vegas. All yeah. right. <laughs> All right. Well, yes, I think um, that is a great recipe for wellness. And I'm going to I'm actually going to take some of those tips. So thank you very, very much. (laughs) So y'all better be ready for me at the next Soka Jam. I'm showing up. Don't ask. Don't ask Dr. O no questions either. (laughs) All right. Thank you, The Race, Health, and Happiness podcast was created by Dr. Ani Norum, and she's our host. The show is produced, edited, and engineered by yours truly, Dr. Carl Cabasell. Our technical producer is Obadiah George. Awit Siam is our research and resource manager, and Sintu Senthilmohan is our medical research consultant. Promotions coordinator is Jordan Gibson, and social media coordinator is Latoya Powell. Javiera Gutierrez-Duran is our logistics coordinator, and J.L. Joseph is our production intern. The RHH theme song, it's composed and performed by Gold Keys, and graphic design for the podcast is handled by Veronica Ng. Do you have questions, feedback, ideas to share? We'd love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at RaceHealthHappy. Our website is racehealthhappiness.com. Thank you for listening to Race, Health, and Happiness, and please subscribe to us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Dr. Carl Cabasell, and we'll talk with you soon. <laughs>